Welcome to another opportunity to learn the Word of God. This is Father Reed Henserling, and we are looking at the lectionary readings from the Book of Common Prayer in the second Sunday in Lent, or to Lent. Second Sunday in Lent. As I explained last week, there are five Sundays in Lent, followed by Holy Week, which begins with Palm Sunday through Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday, as you know, celebrates the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Now, the season of Lent, as it's often called, is a time of reflection and prayer, repentance and preparation for the coming of the Lord in terms of his death and his resurrection, as I mentioned during Holy Week, his death on Good Friday, his burial, and his resurrection in early morning of Easter Sunday. Now, this week in Second Lent, we are looking at three different readings, different from even last week. We are looking at Jeremiah. Last week, we looked at Deuteronomy. We are looking at Romans. Last week, we looked at Hebrews. And we are looking at John, and we are continuing our study with John. Remember, we left Jesus with the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well, the woman that was drawing water, and Jesus was speaking to her about things that she could not imagine. And at the end of that time last week, we looked at the 26th verse, which talked about Jesus being the Messiah. So let's begin with Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah comes after Isaiah. Jeremiah is what we call a major prophet. There are four major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Jeremiah has 66 chapters. Jeremiah has 52 chapters. Isaiah has 66, and Ezekiel has 48, and Daniel has 12. And then we begin with Hosea to Malachi, the 12 minor prophets. Now, Jeremiah is an extraordinarily important prophet in the book of the Old Testament. And the first chapter, which is shared in the Book of Common Prayer in the daily lectionary readings on Sunday. Now the word of the Lord came to me, verse 4. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And you were born, before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations before he was even born. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched his mouth. Jeremiah did not want to prophesy. He felt he, there's no way he could do this. But the Lord anointed him so that he could. Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Verse 9. See, I have set this day over nations, set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And then the Lord continued to work with him. Now, the point of these incredible verses in Jeremiah chapter 1 are the power of the Lord, the calling of the Lord, the anointing of the Lord, the providence of the Lord, the fact that the Lord is sovereign, he's in control. He called and knew Jeremiah before he was even born. Now, Jeremiah's job is to proclaim and share the word of God, which is the title of our series together, the Word of God. And so 
He is what we call an oral prophet, and he is a written prophet. He is orally speaking to those folks and sharing the word of the Lord with them. And we have the writings of Jeremiah, thank God, so that we can read and study and think about. Now, Israel is famous, or should I say infamous, in not doing what God says. And so in chapter 2, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah, and he shares that word with the people of Israel in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My people, verse 13, have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. They have forsaken me. They have forgotten me. I am the fountain of water. They are keeping that water in broken cisterns. In fact, they're creating their own cisterns. They don't want my water anymore. So again, we see this profound interplay between following the Lord and doing his will, knowing his commandments. Last week, chapter 8 and 9 and 10 of Deuteronomy, but then forsaking him, building golden calves, doing your own thing, not listening to the Lord. And so Jeremiah speaks about that. In Jeremiah chapter 3, on Wednesday, we see that God calls them to repentance. He calls them to repentance for their sin against him. He tells Jeremiah to go and speak these words. Return, faithless Israel, verse 12. I will not look at you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. And so, so the Lord loves and protects and wants to bless the people of Israel, but they must do what he says, and they must listen to his word. Return, verse 14, O faithless children, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. They're going to tell you what the truth is, and I want you to listen to them. And when you multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, there should be no more that people say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. So as you're reading the book of Jeremiah, you will experience the profundity, how great the language is, and how much God longs for them to do what he tells them to do. In chapter 4, 9 to 10, and 19 to 28, we have anguish over Judah's desolation. My anguish, my anguish, verse 19. I writhe in pain, oh, the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for thy, I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. My people are foolish, 22. They know not. They are stupid children. Can you believe that's in the Bible? They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil, but, they, but how to do good, they know not. They know how to do evil things, but they don't know how to do good things. And in their inability to do good things, I cannot bless them or save them. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Again, these are longer chapters, but they're wonderful. Verse 1. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search your squares to see if you can find a man who does justice and seeks truth. Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they shall swear falsely. Verse 2. O Lord, do you not eyes look for truth? You have struck them down. They have felt no anguish. You have consumed them. They refuse to take 
correction. So there's this wonderful interplay and dialogue between God and the people of Israel. And the prophet is the one that's speaking this word and sharing it with the people of Israel. And of course, the prayer, the hope, is that if they hear the word of the Lord through the prophet, they will amend their ways and do what they're supposed to do. Finally, on Saturday, chapter 5, 20 to 31, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people. You have eyes, but you do not see. You have ears, but you do not hear. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? And then he tells them that he can, of all the things he can do. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart, verse 23. They've turned aside. They've gone astray. They don't say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives rain and it sees it again. This is what he does. We're not afraid of him. We do not take him seriously. We do whatever we want to. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have kept good from you. So enjoy this. And think about these scriptures in the light of your own life, in the light of your own mortality and walk with the Lord. Are you keeping the word of the Lord? Do you know the word of the Lord? Are you being comforted in the word of the Lord? Are you obeying the word of the Lord? Well, Romans, to say the least, is one of the most famous books of the Bible. It's one of the most famous documents that's ever been written. And in it, this week, in the second Sunday in Lent, we look at Romans 1, Romans 2, and Romans, at the end of Romans 3. Paul longs to go to Rome to share with them the gospel. In the famous verse in the first chapter, I am not ashamed of the gospel, verse 16, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. For if, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by his faith. Beautiful testimony from Paul. Now, the 18th to the 20, let's see, how far do we go down here? We go down for 32 verses. This is what happens when you do not know the Lord. Now, the second half of Romans 1 is quoted a lot in our lifetime and presently. The wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then he goes on to say and catalog all the sins and the problems that we have. They became futile in their thinking, verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged, in verse 23, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So it's a very strong indictment against the sin of man, and you'll enjoy chapter 1 very much because it clearly demarcates those that know the Lord and those that don't. Read that very carefully. Chapter 2, 12 to 24, the law and the power of the law and the power of the gospel and the, how Jewish people dealt with the law and how they dealt with the teaching of the law. Remember, we're going back to Deuteronomy. So, again, the reader of the New Testament of Paul needs to have a very thorough background of the law and of the Bible uh, as recorded in the Old Testament, particularly concerning the law of God in Deuteronomy, but it's also in Numbers and Exodus 
and the prophets speak about it also. In chapter 2, we're looking at 12 to 24, and he says, um, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So he's indicting the Jews because the Gentiles, the name of God is blasphemed because they're not sharing the gospel. They're not illustrating the gospel. They're not showing the gospel. So the Gentiles do not think highly of God at all or think much of him at all. So as we go into chapter 3, we look at the problem of man, which is the problem of sin. What then, verse 9, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, verse 11. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, verse 12. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For all of us who pretend to be basically good, Paul really pours water on that idea. That no one is good, no, not one. We know, verse 19, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, this is a good verse, verse 20, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what are we going to do with the law? We can't keep the law. We're accountable to it. This is why verses 21 following in chapter 3 are so important. Verses 21 to 31, which we see on Saturday. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned. Verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified. How are they justified? They are in right standing before God. By his grace, as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How am I saved? By the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. How am I justified? By his grace, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is why your faith is so important. This is why your repentance of your sins is so important. Remember what he says at the second half of chapter 1 of Romans. Remember what he says in the first half of chapter 3. We are sinners. There's wrath. We need to repent of our sins. We need to follow Christ. We need to be justified by faith. And the person that makes that happen is Jesus. Let's look at the famous verse in Scripture Verse 27 and following. Then what becomes of our boasting is it, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? But by, no, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So we are justified not by the works of the law, but by faith. We've talked about this in Galatians before. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles? Is he here to save just Jews? No, he saves Jews and Gentiles. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The law is good. The law is righteous. I'm not, I'm not changing the law. I'm not 
changing the rules. I uphold the law, but the law has limited what he can do. What Christ has done for us is the key. And when we put our faith and trust in him, then the righteousness of God that we now wear when we accept Jesus gives us right standing before the Lord. Go back to John. And remember, as I said earlier, we were talking about the Samaritan woman. And now we will spend a couple of days on the Samaritan woman and the aftermath of that situation. The disciples come back and say, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus says in verse 32, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said, has anybody brought him something to eat? He wasn't talking about food. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what Jesus is here to do. His sustenance, his nourishment comes from doing whatever God asks him to do. Okay? Now, the Samaritans were blessed to have Jesus there. And the Samaritans heard the testimony. And they asked him to stay for two days. Verse 40. They asked him to stay for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman in verse 42, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the Savior of the world. Now, we jump to another section at the end of John chapter 4. We have the healing of the official son, this is our first healing in John. Now, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which have many miracles, casting out of devils, nature miracles, feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, lots of healings, John is more discreet. Remember, John comes after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we believe, and he is very intentional about telling certain stories, stories that are true, of course, and certain things that he wants to accentuate in the life of Jesus. John is very different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and thank, thank the Lord for that. In chapter 5, which we cover on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, beautiful, beautiful, the healing of the pool on the Sabbath. Now, this is a person that had been in trouble for a very, very long time. And Jesus says to him, Get up, take up your mat, and walk. And the Jews say to him, this is in verse 9 and 10, said to the man that is healed, it's the Sabbath, it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. The man said, the man said to me, take up your, your, take up your bed and walk. Who is this person? I don't know who he is. Jesus finds him in the temple in verse 14. See you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Read that slowly. It's a great text. This man really didn't recognize Jesus and know Jesus, but Jesus, out of his great compassion, healed him anyway. Jesus answered, My father is working until now, and I am working. So he's sharing with us, I am doing his work. I am doing his will. He has asked me to come and do these ministries to signify and to show who I am, and I am doing that. And so Jesus is healing and touching and speaking to people that love him, 
and that don't, that care about him and don't, that argue and fight with him or receive him. Now, one of the things that is interesting about John's gospel is there's lots of dialogue. So it's a very rich theology. That's why this is my favorite book of the Bible, the book of John. I've always loved John the most because there are long sections of Jesus speaking that are very, very rich and very, very powerful. And here's a good example. From 519 to the end of the chapter, to 47, 19 to 47, Jesus says some amazing words. Let me just share a few with you. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, verse 19, for only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And so what would be great is for us to see what the Son is doing and then do what the Son does. The Father loves the Son, verse 20, and shows him all that he himself is doing. For as the Father raises the dead, verse 21, and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So you... What you see in John is this fantastic relationship, this great interpersonal relationship between the Father and the Son. And the Son's job is to submit to the Father and do what the Father says. And remember, they're equal in terms of divinity, but they have different roles as persons. And he says in verse 24, a very bold statement, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. I can't do anything on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So what's important to me, Jesus says, is not what you people think. It's what God tells me to do. It's how God instructs me. And so that's a pattern for the way we should live our lives. It doesn't matter what someone else says. What matters is what God says to us, what Jesus says to us. So we imitate his pattern of father and son and now the Son and us. Put your name in that relationship. What do you see Jesus doing? That's what he wants you to do. Whatever Jesus saw the Father doing, that's what he did. A few more scriptures. As the Father who sent me is himself born witness, verse 37, about me, his voice you have never seen or heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding with you. He's talking to the Pharisees. You do not believe the one who he has sent. You search the scriptures, verse 39, because you think that in them you have eternal life. Yet you refuse, in verse 40, to come to me that you may have life. And so he talks about his relationship, his relationship with the religious leaders, his relationship with the leaders of Israel. And he says to them, you don't know me because you don't have a relationship with me and you do not believe Verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, remember Deuteronomy last week, how will you believe my words? He skips to chapter 7 on Saturday, skips chapter 6, verses 1 to 13, the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths, and I love this language, verse 6. My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus is very honest. He's very forthright. He's very clear about who he is. He's very clear about what is true, and not everybody likes that. 
Not everybody likes and wants to hear what Jesus has to say, particularly if he's calling what we do evil. So take your time this coming week. Look at Jer Jeremiah. If you've never read Jeremiah before, I think you'll enjoy it very much. The words of Romans are very, very famous. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, as he sets forth what the gospel's about, what is right, what is wrong, why we are the way we are, and what salvation in Christ is about. And again, as we picked up from last week, John 4 and 5 and chapter 7. So may the Lord bless you as you continue to follow him in this season of Lent. We'll see you next week on The Word of God.